Hello and welcome back to Legendary Africa, the podcast where I tell you about all things African myth, legend and lore. Today we're going to be reading some stories from South African Folk Tales by James Honey, published in 1910. The Lost Message The ant has had from time immemorial many enemies, and because he is small and destructive, there have been a great many slaughters among them. Not only were most of the birds their enemies, but Anteater lived almost wholly from them, and Centipede beset them every time and at all places when he had the chance. So now there were a few among them who thought it would be well to hold counsel together, and see if they could not come to some arrangement whereby they could retreat to some place of safety when attacked by robber birds and animals. But at the gathering, their opinions were most discordant and they could come to no decision. There was red ant, rice ant, black ant, wagtail ant, grey ant, shining ant, and many other varieties. The discussion was a true babel of diversity, which continued for a long time, and came to nothing. A-part desired that they should all go into a small hole in the ground and live there. Another part wanted to have a large and strong dwelling built on the ground, where nobody could enter but an ant. Still another wanted to dwell in trees, so as to get rid of Anteater, forgetting entirely that they would be the prey of birds. Another part seemed inclined to have wings and fly. And, as has already been said, this deliberation amounted to nothing, and each party resolved to go to work in its own way and on its own responsibility. Greater unity than that which existed in each separate faction could be seen nowhere in the world. Each had his appointed task, each did his work regularly and well, and all worked together in the same way. From among them they chose a king, that is to say some of the groups did, and they divided the labour so that all went as smoothly as it possibly could. But each group did it in its own way, and not one of them thought of protecting themselves against the onslaught of birds or ant-eater. The red ants built their house on the ground and lived under it. But Anteater levelled it to the ground in a minute, what had cost them many days of precious labour. The rice ants lived under the ground, and with them it went no better, for whenever they came out, Anteater visited them and took them out, sack and pack. The wagtail ants fled to the trees, but there on many occasions sat centipede waiting for them, or the birds gobbled them up. The grey ants had intended to save themselves from extermination by taking to flight, but this also availed them nothing, because the lizard, the hunting spider, and the birds went a great deal faster than they. When the insect king heard that they could come to no agreement, he sent them the secret of unity and the message of work together. But unfortunately, he chose for his messenger the beetle, and he has never yet arrived at the ants, so that they are still today the embodiment of discord and consequently the prey of enemies. The Monkey's Fiddle Hunger and want forced Monkey one day to forsake his land and to seek elsewhere among strangers for much-needed work. Bulbs, earth beans, scorpions, insects, and such things were completely exhausted in his own land. But fortunately he received, for the time being, shelter with a great uncle of his who lived in another part of the country. 
when he had worked for quite a while, he wanted to return home, and as a recompense, his great-uncle gave him a fiddle and a bow and arrow, and told him that with the bow and arrow, he could hit and kill anything he desired, and with the fiddle, he could force anything to dance. The first he met upon his return to his old land was Brer Wolf. This old fellow told him all the news, and also that he had since early morning been attempting to stalk a deer, but all in vain. Then Monkey laid before him all the wonders of the bow and arrow that he carried on his back, and assured him if he could but see the deer he would bring it down for him. When Wolf showed him the deer, Monkey was ready, and down fell the deer. They made a good meal together, but instead of Wolf being thankful, jealousy overmastered him, and he begged for the bow and arrow. When Monkey refused to give it to him, he thereupon began to threaten him with his greatest strength. And so, when Jackal passed by, Wolf told him that Monkey had stolen his bow and arrow. After Jackal had heard both of them, he declared himself unqualified to settle the case alone, and he proposed that they bring the matter to the court of Lion, Tiger, and the other animals. In the meantime, he declared he would take possession of what had been the cause of their quarrel, so that it would be safe, as he said. But Jackal immediately brought to the earth all that was eatable, so there was a long time of slaughter before Monkey and Wolf agreed to have the affair in court. Monkey's evidence was weak, and to make it worse, Jackal's testimony was against him. Jackal thought that in this way it would be easier to obtain the bow and arrow from Wolf for himself. And so fell the sentence against Monkey. Theft was looked upon as a great wrong. He must hang. The fiddle was still at Monkey's side, and he received as a last favour from the court the right to play a tune on it. He was a master player of his time, and in addition to this came the wonderful power of his charmed fiddle. Thus, when he struck the first note of the court began at once to show an unusual and spontaneous liveliness, and before he came to the first waltzing turn of the old tune, the whole court was dancing like a whirlwind. Over and over, quicker and quicker, sounded the tune of on the charmed fiddle, until some of the dancers, exhausted, fell down, although still keeping their feet in motion. But Monkey, musician as he was, heard and saw nothing of what had happened around him. With his head placed lovingly against the instrument, and his eyes half-closed, he played on, keeping time ever with his foot. Wolf was the first to cry out in pleading tones breathlessly. Please stop! Cousin Monkey, for love's sake, please stop! But Monkey did not even hear him. Over and over sounded the resistless waltz of... After a while, Lion showed signs of fatigue. And when he had gone the round once more with his young lion wife, he growled as he passed Monkey. My whole kingdom is yours, ape, if you just stop playing! I do not want it, answered Monkey. But withdraw the sentence and give me my bow and arrow, and you, Wolf, acknowledge that you stole it from me. I acknowledge, I acknowledge, cried Wolf, while Lion cried at the same instance that he withdrew the sentence. Monkey gave them just a few more turns of the... gathered up his bow and arrow, 
and seated himself high up in the nearest camel-thorn tree. The court and other animals were so afraid that he might begin again, that they hastily disbanded to new parts of the world. Our next story is called The Tiger, the Ram, and the Jackal. Tiger was returning home from hunting on one occasion when he lighted on the kraal of Ram. Now, Tiger had never seen Ram before, and accordingly, approaching submissively, he said, Good day, friend. What may your name be? The other, in his gruff voice and striking his breast with his forefoot, said, I am Ram. Who are you? Tiger, answered the other, more dead than alive, and then, taking leave of Ram, he ran home as fast as he could. Jackal lived at the same place as Tiger did, and the latter going to him said, Friend Jackal, I am quite out of breath, and am half dead with fright, for I have just seen a terrible-looking fellow with a large and thick head, and on my asking him what his name was, he answered, I am Ram. What a foolish fellow you are, cried Jackal, to let such a nice piece of flesh stand. Why did you do so? Ah, but we shall go tomorrow and eat it together. Next day, the two set off for the kraal of Ram, and as they appeared over a hill, Ram, who had turned out to look about him, and was calculating where he should that day crop a tender salad, saw them, and he immediately went to his wife and said, I fear this is our last day, for Jackal and Tiger are both coming against us. What shall we do? Don't be afraid, said the wife, but take up the child in your arms, go out with it, and pinch it to make it cry as if it were hungry. Ram did so as their confederates came on. <laughs> Sorry. I was laughing at the at the word confederates. Definitely appropriate of 1910, I suppose. <clears throat> Ram did so as the confederates came on. No sooner did Tiger cast his eyes on Ram than fear again took possession of him and he wished to turn back. Jackal had provided against this, and made Tiger fast to himself with a leather thong, and said, Come on. When Ram cried in a loud voice, and pinching his child at the same time, You have done well, friend Jackal, to have brought us Tiger to eat, for you hear how my child is crying for food. On those dreadful words, Tiger, notwithstanding the entreaties of Jackal to let him go, to let him loose, set off in the greatest alarm dragged Jackal after him over hill and valley, through bushes and over rocks, and never stopped to look behind him, till he brought back himself and half-dead Jackal to his place again. And so Ram escaped. Our next tale is called The Lion, the Jackal, and the Man. It so happened one day that Lion and Jackal came together to converse on affairs of land and state. Jackal, let me say, was the most important adviser to the King of the Forest, and, after they had spoken about these matters for quite a while, the conversation took a more personal turn. Lion began to boast and talk big about his strength. 
Jackal had, perhaps, given him cause for it, because, by nature, he was a flatterer. But now that Lion began to assume so many airs, said he, See here, Lion, I will show you an animal that is still more powerful than you are. They walked along, Jackal leading the way, and met first a little boy. Is this the strong man? asked Lion. No, answered Jackal. He must still become a man, O King. After a while, they found an old man walking with a bowed head and supporting his bent figure with a stick. Is this the wonderful strong man? asked Lion. Not yet, O King, was the Jackal's answer. He has been a man. Continuing their walk a short distance further, they came across a young hunter in the prime of youth and accompanied by some of his dogs. There you have him now, O King, said Jackal. Pitch your strength against his, and if you win, then truly you are the strength of the earth. Then Jackal made tracks to one side, toward a little rocky copy, from which he would be able to see the meeting. Growling, growling, Lion strode forward to meet the man. But when he came close, the dogs beset him. He, however, paid but little attention to the dogs, and pushed and separated them on all sides with a few sweeps of his front paws. They howled aloud, beating a hasty retreat toward the man. Thereupon, the man fired a charge of shot, hitting him behind the shoulder, but even to this lion paid but little attention. Thereupon, the hunter pulled out his steel knife and gave him a few good jabs. Lion retreated, followed by the flying bullets of the hunter. Well, are you strongest now? was Jackal's first question when Lion arrived at his side. No, Jackal, answered Lion. Let that fellow there keep the name and welcome, such as he I have never before seen. In the first place, he had about ten of his bodyguards storm me. I really did not bother myself much about them. But when I attempted to turn him to chaff, he spat and blew fire at me, mostly into my face, that burned just a little, but not very badly. And when I again endeavoured to pull him to the ground, he jerked out from his body one of his ribs, with which he gave me some very ugly wounds, so bad that I had to make chips fly, and as a parting he sent some warm bullets after me. No, Jackal. Give him the name. And those were the first four tales from South African Folk Tales by James Honey, published in 1910. South African Folk Tales were, according to James Honey, collected in the 19th century, mainly from the Sand people, who were nomadic hunter-gatherers um, who lived in South Africa and in neighboring countries of Botswana, Namibia, and Zimbabwe. Uh, this particular book focuses almost entirely on animal stories. I'll be reading a few more next time. And now I must love and leave you. Legendary Africa is produced and edited by the incredible Canine and Co, headed by Hestia the Dog and Athena the Doggo, and hosted by me, the Shirapata. Intro and outro music is Across the Savannah by Aaron Kenny. 
Other music is provided by Laborio Conti at nocopyrightmusic.com and by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech. Any other sound effects are from freesound.org. Legendary Africa belongs to the fantastic Straight Up Strange network, so be sure to check out the Straight Up Strange website in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on Apple, Spotify, Podchaser, or wherever you can. And remember to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at LegendaryPod1 and LegendaryPod. Share with your friends and family. It's the best way to support indie podcasters like me. Until next time, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. Bye!